Some madmen. In honor of madmen, which madmen character deserves a madmen spinoff? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm still hanging on to Bob Benson and his life as a spy. It was really happening, I swear. Hey, it's me, Dave with the Seven, and I get to go second, so I get to pick Sally Draper. <laughs> I'm Matt Patches. I'm going to go with Ken Cosgrove. I want to see him writing novels and going to comic book conventions. And I'm David Ehrlich, and I'll go with Rachel Menken, because I can't go with Ginsburg's nipple. Not a person. <laughs> Both. I want to go with the computer. I want to go with like a, uh, a Better Call Saul style show that traces Rachel Menken from the first season to her death. How about yeah? Her no. How about her in the afterlife? Haunting. Sure. People. Nope. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 71 for Wednesday, May 20th, 2015. Still the year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown, though this episode will be talking back in the 60s and 70s, because this is an all-Mad Men episode. I think it's the first episode we've ever dedicated just to television, so that's kind of exciting. There's at least one Emmett Brown alive in that period, and apparently he never did anything noteworthy. That's right. Mad Mad Men is not TV. It's AMC. Oh, my God. Uh, but before we get into this uh, television-only digression, we have some iTunes reviews about our podcast that's mostly about movies, so hopefully these people still like us. David, what are our good reviews this week? We actually only have one, because oh, one that mind. has repopulated, I swear, is something that we've already had from Jeff Fred. Um, <laughs> right? Have, have we not what, already? What did it say? I don't keep track of them like you don't. I don't cut the, you know... Print them out and paste them to my wall. And uh, like I, like I do. Parents. My apartment looks yeah, like a altered. serial killer's wall <laughs> with these things just. Uh, yeah, the out. red string that you 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 lace from from no, review to review doesn't really make a lot of Jeff sense. Jill and all trying to find me. Uh, anyway, which Jeff could work for Gyllenhaal? either prisoners or Zodiac. I <laughs> anyway, um, so Jeff underscore Fred left us a great review, but I swear we've already Jeff underscore Fred. Um, yeah, but I swear I've already read it on the show. You can read it if you're very curious on our iTunes page, but I think this review for Ascani02 is new. It says, being from the Midwest, I get a bit annoyed at how New York-centric the podcast is. But other than that, I really enjoy their banter and film knowledge. I love the wide spectrum of opinions and their familiarity with one another. Uh, we are very familiar. Are we too Ascani. New York-centric? No. Dave you're not New York-centric enough. Let's talk about yeah, a show that takes place entirely in New York now. <laughs> this this listener is a sandwich in between me and the rest of you right now. The middle of the sandwich. It's like in the like middle of the there. sandwich. Yeah. Damn. No, what's it like? He are has you, to answer. Yeah. I'm on the other side. Oh. I'm on Where are I'm you in yelling the West, at our listeners? I don't know. I thought I was talking to Dave. I wanted to know what Dave thought. Dave's not in the middle of the sandwich. You misunderstood geographically where Denver is. <laughs> I thought it was an open face sandwich. Mad Men aired its final episode on Sunday, as you might have heard. I have written about it a few times. I believe we've all been talking about it in the days since it aired. But actually, aside from David, who I think 
would think is the greatest thing ever because he thought the entire show was the greatest thing ever. I don't actually know how you guys felt about the show as a finale. And and to be clear, we're going to talk about Mad Men's finale as, on its own as an episode first before we get into a discussion of the show as a whole. So, uh, Dave, just as a final episode of television or just as an episode of television, how did you think the finale worked? Uh, I really enjoyed it. He took, you know, Matthew Weiner took uh, some lessons from David Chase's mentor and managed to have a finale that didn't need to have some large uh, ending to be impactful. And because I happened to be in Boston with my family for my brother's, like, graduation the whole like final place that Don Draper and the characters find themselves uh, really hit home. So it was also one of those rare finales that sort of like caught me in the correct mood to, uh, I think, accept it on its own terms. Does your brother go to like a hippie to, like, liberal arts college or something? Why did the end of this show strike you? <laughs> well, it's just or sort just of the ending. idea that um, uh, like t- t- traveling around the country and looking for, you know, like love within your family or within your job or within your or looking for hope in your future, like all those things sort of like slamming together with a little bit of booze and being trapped in my parents like a <laughs> um, hotel room to watch this finale. So you're the um, opposite sort of, of Don together. Draper. You're holed up in a hotel room, but surrounded by all of your loved ones as opposed to zero of them. Well, yeah, but like everybody's a little drunk and sometimes we get on each other's nerves. And so, you know, the tension of uh, Leonard was definitely like on my mind. <laughs> and uh, it's his his final lines, man. They they hit me right in the right in the heart hole. And so, yeah, I ended up I ended up uh, crying a little bit through the end of this episode wow. during the Coke commercial, which seemed uh, which is uncharacteristic for me and uh, therefore made it uh, an awesome conclusion. And uh, now I've just like been going back and binging pitches and uh, clips and episodes on Netflix uh, because, yeah, it revived my love of the series uh, when it ended. So, so you felt rare. This was the real thing, so to speak. Mm. I think so. Yes, it was the real thing. And the fact that uh, that, I don't know, sort of a dark joke also seemed fitting that where where Don ends up seemed fitting. Um, I want to hear from Patches, but to quickly chime in with you, I kind of thought as the episode began, I was like, I don't know if I'll rewatch Mad Men. Like, I kind of feel like my time with it's done. I've been frustrated with it a lot. But the ending did the exact same thing for me where I have really been wanting to go back and watch old episodes. So I don't know what kind of magical powers it had but i've had the exact same reaction <laughs> magical powers magical narrative storytelling powers uh patches what did you think of the episode uh i also adored it i mean i have been pretty high on mad men as well uh you and i katie have butted heads because i know that you've been a little frustrated about certain things um and i've been coming to work every day and hearing people who remain nameless at my magazine saying that the, the last season has been very uncharacteristically mad. You know, it's out of character for, for Mad Men. And at this finale also was not very Mad Men. I heard someone use that exact quote. Um, and and I, I couldn't disagree more. Um, I do think that there was a little too much fan service, perhaps, in this finale. Yeah, I, we and, should get into and that. And it does feel point. reactionary to the end of Sopranos in a way where they gave them nothing. You know, the whole Peggy Stan thing felt like handing it over to the audience. 
giving them something at least so that <laughs> uh, that Matthew Weiner could bite us in the ass uh, in the end with the cynical conclusion. Um, but I, I really enjoyed this. I mean, I felt like I got moments throughout the season that wrapped everyone up and said proper goodbyes. And I don't know. I, I, I really, really dug it. And uh, again, love the cynicism. I really think it stands true to the arc of Don, which is very cyclical. Um, he, he does grow. It's a half redemption. He learns something. He embraces the future for the first time, which I really appreciate. That's my favorite aspect of the show, you know, just like clinging to nostalgia versus looking ahead and who succeeds and who doesn't. And Don does not change necessarily as a man. He owns himself. And I, I really found that compelling. I really want to, I want to discuss the, uh, whether or not it's a cynical ending. Cause I'm not sure I totally agree that it is. Um, but David, am I right in predicting that you love this too? Yeah, I mean, uh, I I have spent the last couple of years in a constant panic that I would die before seeing the show end, which I think would be a real tragedy for me. Um, That's, wait, what? As a 30-year-old, as a you've been convinced that Mad Men... No, I just, you? like, who knows? And I could be hit by a truck in the middle of the street one day. I don't know. Well, you've I really just, been taking this show's lessons to heart. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really... I was... Extremely curious as uh, the show went on as to how it would end. Um, I I have thought about it for a very long time, and I think that this uh, was an absolutely perfect ending. I had a feeling that they were going to stick the landing, um, and I found that they did. I like what oh, while I think that you know we can mercilessly rip patches to shreds for the misuse of the word cynicism. Um, I think that I do really like what he said about Don thinking about the future. I wrote this long rambling garbage for Slate about how, uh, going back to the pilot of the show and this quote that Don says about what Rachel Mencken calls love is what men like him use to sell nylons. But then he goes on in a slightly less famous part of that spiel to talk about how he lives in the moment he lives in for today and, uh, and so on. And, that, I think, is really as much at heart as anything else, as much as I think it's inextricable from his feelings about love and, and women uh, and really just other humans in general is how he his perspective is sort of just on time. And I do think that there is a a lot to be said for him dislodging himself from the present moment. And I think that being able to uh, reconcile and himself with the past and consider the future is what is going to be able to make him more present in the present for the people that he cares about, namely his children. Um, and uh, mm. I, I think that, you know, uh, it, it not that we necessarily have to take the authors of a work at their word, but I do think that Matt Weiner and John Hamm and what they said after the end of the show about has Matt, uh, Matt Weiner's given interviews. Since yes, the show he gave oh, an, I haven't read any of this. He gave an interview for the New York Times where what essentially he said that um, the show is about the characters. I mean, Patches, you, you essentially paraphrased him that the characters were marginally happier than they were beforehand. That they had achieved a tectonic uh, but very real growth uh, movement in their lives, and I think. Um, I think that is, uh, you know, I would disagree intensely with what your coworker said. I think that's as true to the spirit of Mad Men as it could be. I think not to be true to the show would have been to have had something major occur. And, uh, you know, to some extent that happened in the penultimate episode with Petty's, with Betty's diagnosis. But at the same time, I think that that was uh, rather brilliantly woven into the show. But I do think that the 
catharsis of the final episode, which the, the really the entire series, but especially the last half of the seventh season has been building towards um, magnificently and with great care. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think the show moves at a glacial pace, but it's certainly not Breaking Bad. So, and a lot of people God hate for that. it for that too. Like they they need more to be happening, and especially this season, I heard a lot of outrage about just like do something, Mad Men, like push these characters in a new direction. Why well, do they keep going back to the same old stuff? Maybe and I'm like, that's, that's why... exactly what the show is about. And I think for me, I, I, I when I when the last episode ended, my first thought was like, this is the best sitcom. For me, a sitcom, Mary Tyler Moore show, is just about people getting together every week and something little happens and it changes the dynamic in one way or another. And, you know, things kind of reset, but they're slightly changed. And for me, that's what Mad Men's all about. It's a, it's a sitcom that's not as funny. It's still tremendously funny. And this episode was one of the funniest episodes of the series, I think. Whoa. Um, Weird. But, but I think it's a great sitcom. And I'm, I actually, David, I did want to hear why you didn't, why you thought my use of cynical was incorrect. Uh, well, I think that there's been, I, I do want to say as far as uh, to speak to what you were saying about what Katie uh, had said about wanting to uh, rewatch the series as soon as it was over, which she was uh, surprised by. I think that one of the successes of the finale is that it revealed the machinations of what they had been doing a little bit. It, it sort of let you see the, uh, the wizard behind the curtain in all of the pieces that it was moving around the board. And I think people that may have been uh, disengaged from what was happening or frustrated with Don's development or whatnot may have seen uh, a glimpse of the greater plan and had a better appreciation for it. Um, and I'm still going to argue a little bit on some of that, but we can get into that. Well, we can argue about the particulars, but I do think that that is, that can be, it's not always necessarily, but it can be the mark of a great finale that it, it shows some, uh, rhyme and reason to or method behind the madness. But yeah, I do think that the ending was not necessarily cynical. I think that, um, you know, television has conditioned us to think that wrapping up a character like this, he's going to have some sort of grand epiphany that forever changes who he is, that he's going to have a, a Walter White moment. And I, I think this is part of the reason why Breaking Bad is but very that's disappointing. That's not why I think it's cynical. Well, I know, but I think that, you know, you think it's cynical. I'm, I, don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm I, nom, 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 nom. I think mouth. that if, if, if your feeling on this is anything like some of the other people that I've read since the show ended, um, you think that the fact that he is commodifying this uh, other man's suffering who he meets and his own suffering and all the, the emotion and the growth that he's had into you know the ultimate advertisement, this commercial for Coke, and has found a way to um, you know further that along and make him richer, sell uh, dangerous, you know, sugar-free right. Sugar uh, loaded product back to the masses, much the same way as he hawks the cigarettes that eventually killed his <laughs> sure. first wife. Um, I don't think that's cynical. I think that Don is an ad man. I think this, I think you would have to claims that it's cynical have allow for a idealism that I guess I just don't afford myself, where you think that there was a better outcome to this, that you think that I think this is no, more- I think the show is cynical in that way. There's not a better outcome. I, I'm I, and I don't think it's as conniving as that either. I think it can be that a lot of our the major experiences in our lives are, are filtered through something commercial. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be as diabolical as selling people, you know, cigarettes or sugary drinks that are going to kill them. You know, he's not he's not <laughs> Walter White. He's not evil. Uh, he just is who he is, and we all are like that. We all put ourselves through this commercial filter at times and he he found his place his cynical the cynical or the cynicism of it is that his place is 
big business, and that's where we all live. I mean, yeah. I, th- I, mean, I, I, I feel Matthew Weiner. I, I just don't know I if I find that cynical. I just don't I mean, know if I, I find that okay. cynical. I think it's it's honest. Um, I it's I think that it's it's a very can it be both? The, well, yeah, sure. But I mean, one of the things that's resonated with me about the show is that I think a lot of its claims about the the conduit that advertising offers in American life are dead on. And while uh, confronting that may unmask some of the harsher realities about our world at the same time uh i think that there is uh beauty to that as well i don't know i, I, I want to hear more from katie because i know that she struggled especially in this last leg of the race with what you know don draper has been up to and what he's all about and you still found this fulfilling so we, we yeah must speak to this. i'd still really firmly argue that a lot of the cycl- this cyclical nature of what we saw don do was unnecessary and that we could have had that story told in a way that was less maddening and narratively inert. And this is what David and I have argued about repeatedly. So I don't want to go too much into it. And there were definitely like parts of this final episode, like Don gets in bed with another young woman and she's maybe going to rip him off and maybe not. And there's goddamn Stephanie Draper. I don't remember if that's her last name, but Anna Draper's uh, niece, like having her come back again was just completely infuriating to me. But what I find, why, I, I, wait, you really you found that because one of the most affecting moments in the entire series for me is when she says to him, Dick, I don't think you're right about that. No. And she tells I'm him that not, he's not you're, you're not, not my family. family. Yeah, I, love I that think moment. that like that's a huge moment in the series. I think that it completely justifies and then some her presence. In yeah, episode. I think him trying to find another woman to, you know, take and rescue when he's offering to like, you know, move in with her and like basically trying to use her as another project like it's interesting that he that he needs to do that i don't know that i needed to have you know that character particular return and i don't know that i needed to have again as much like john don and the bonnie both salt flats like he's speeding to try to run away we've kind of we've seen that um well don't all the I, women in his life need to come back i mean i feel like that's what the show is about it's not really about don it's about don being in the wrong place or or being an archaic figure as as femininity is coming into its own and, and uh, so, i mean isn't that why the waitress is in this show why uh, oh my god don't even name? get me started on the waitress Di- uh, diana diana, diana. i mean the, i feel the... like she's pivotal to this last stretch uh, because well, the show is about women not well not. as i i, I don't disagree I don't think with the show that is about women. as I think well as i argued women really differently as i was arguing uh in that same article i referenced earlier i think that a lot of this is about don's relationship with temporal states with the past and i think that um, Diana's appeal for him is is largely rooted in the fact that he um, feels like she is representative of his past, that she is this emblem, um, even if he's drawing her together from a number of different women who he's known, that she is sort of their uh, gestalt. And he has he, – but he has that feeling of her, but he doesn't remember ruining everything with her and uh you know putting her uh, having this happiness that he can extinguish so that he can reflect on this relationship in the past which is where he is most comfortable keeping all of the women that he loves um so i thought again i mean i don't want to be an apologist i I would like to be critical but i do think that's another one of the things that this last stretch of episodes did very well well i'm never going to give up on diana being a waste of time character and what i think (laughs) I found so frustrating about these last few episodes is that Don kind of being off on his own, kind of pursuing the same very specific Don things, kind of throwing away his life in this way that like it's it's very unique to him and, and most people don't get to do that, that the universality of the character kind of slipped away from me. And what I found so moving about the finale is not just, you know, that, you know, it kind of perfectly dovetails 
dovetails with him doing the coke ad, but the whole revelation with the guy Leonard in group therapy, even though at first I was kind of like mind boggled that this show ends with Don Draper crying in a group therapy session and Big Sur, <laughs> but that this guy giving this monologue that Don reflected on so vividly, it was like, it really made Don's insecurities and his searching a universal experience again. Did you and buy that's him breaking down so quickly and embracing <sighs> I mean, if we want to get into into really specifics about like what you bought and what you didn't the like then not? you start i mean well i mean like then then i also gets into the stand and peggy scene which i both loved and didn't buy for a second um i don't, I don't know that i bought it and i think that's why at first i kind of looked at it and flinched um but i think it brings don to a place where i don't think the, the ending is cynical because not just because what david was talking about with like him accepting who he is but because he's gotten to a place where he's kind of like you know the show has always been about like advertising trying to like soothe this itch and all of us to be better people and don has kind of gotten that to a certain degree but has always kind of like ignored it and it does seem like he has kind of come to terms with that element of himself and it really clarified the way that the show has been about that in this really specific way and in this really well-written scene you know as writerly and kind of out of nowhere as it was i thought it did a really great job of that and kind of brought don back around not just being like the white man in the suit who i thought the show was going to replace and never did but into being more of a people of a person who all of us were which is what i've been able to identify in the other characters more for a while does all that make sense I feel like yeah i like i love that scene <laughs> because that guy uh, is he represents everything that don had always feared that he would become i mean he is almost a perfect inverse right. of don and a manifestation of his his fears um and i think someone was saying and i agreed with this that he also sort of revealed to don something that that fired copywriter uh had tried and failed to do, which is how much his uh, handsomeness, how much his superficial appeal um, had paved the way for, for, you know, his hedonism and his mm -hmm. behavior and enabled him. Um, and I think that there's a real mismatch physically when you watch them hug. And yeah. <laughs> I, was, I found that very striking and effective. Uh, and, you know, yeah. I, was a, I was a little iffy about the scene until I saw the scene after it, uh, where it all sort of made sense. Well, it feels like Don had like actively resisted being able to identify with someone like that. And his entire job had been about like becoming the Don Draper who isn't that and him being able to recognize himself in him does like no matter what he goes back into when he goes back to McCann and, you know, resumes his life. And that does feel like a revelation that actually will stick this time. Yeah, Don, not everybody is, is a guy in a suit from an ad. Jeez, Katie, why don't you tell people. us? Katie, tell us about how you felt about um, the Peggy and Stan stuff. All right. I watched this scene. I was really happy watching it. I was also, like, uncomfortable kind of not believing that it was going to happen. I still think it was really awkwardly shot. I was telling Patches this earlier. Like, the way that they staged the actual kiss felt so, like, they were just crashing into each other. Like, the forward motion of it, it felt so really classic. awkward. It was It was a real mm -hmm. rom-com moment. Yeah. And so, I you know, and I really struggled with that for a while. Like, I was writing a piece, like, basically trying to decide as I was writing like whether or not we're supposed to buy these happy endings like whether or not like the cynicism of the show in general means that like we were seeing some darkness and all, all of it and then I kind of just came around to being like well the show has taught us that happiness doesn't last forever but that doesn't mean that they didn't find that happiness then and kind of the happiness that you see from Pete and from Roger and from Joan like everyone kind of finding their thing like we're just leaving them on a note where they are happy even if we know right. it'll last forever. Like, I, I don't know if Pete and I don't know if that whole thing in Wichita is going to work no, out. I, I like that the either, show. I, I like that the matters. show doesn't force you to exactly. Yeah, and like, and I basically I just kind of decided to embrace Peggy and Stan because the show wants me to kind of either 
root for them or not and but you know assume that they're gonna be happy or not I, and I, I choose to think, think they're that, happy and i do think it's my choice but i do think that peggy told stan that she was in love with him at, when she was uh letting him know about her child i think that that yeah. was uh this was in the oh, books yeah. and it was really just a matter of him selling her on um the when of it all yeah <laughs> katie you mentioned the cynicism of the show again and i keep thinking about because i i mentioned it up front um but is is the cynicism that Mad Men has about like living life in an ad or or co- uh, commodifying our our memories is is it necessarily a negative cynicism? Does cynicism have to be negative? I mean, can it be like th- these two are having a rom com moment that they're having something so theatrical, but we could take pleasure in it? Like, I could see Matthew Weiner laughing at this moment too because it is fan service, but it's great. It's it's fulfilling yeah. fan service. I think it's cynicism and I think it's something that Don is always struggling with where it's like you're selling all these feelings and Don never really thinks those feelings are real. And he's struggling with knowing if he feels any of the things that he's trying to sell to people. And the great thing about that moment is like regardless of what happens next, that is real. That is the real thing. And it's you can't take that away from them even if they wind up getting divorced in five years. And I really like that the show kind of you know, these, they were always, Peggy and Sam were both always characters who were better adjusted than Don and able to kind of let themselves be happy, unlike Don. And I like that it gave them that, like, really classic moment of joy. And I, I like that it says. gave us the feeling that any one of the ads that they've written over the years is supposed to give its audience, that we were um, not so inside this, you know, cabal of, of copywriters that we couldn't be sold to as well. Um, I think, you know, I, I, that we're, we are sort of led into Don's head at the very end, but we, um, uh, we get to actually partake in the product in the Stan and Peggy scene. But isn't it weird that Madman has pushed product on us because it brought back this certain, you know, sixties nostalgia and style? Well, yeah. And everything. And Bryant, everything the costume sells. designer has it is a, a costume. The show is, I mean, the show is a commercial. It's very funny. Uh, yeah. I, I think that it's very cognizant of that. Yeah. And it's always, yeah, it's always been, but everything is much more stuff. It's funny. I am, uh, I, 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 I love that ad, uh, that they, they use at the end, the Coke ad. I will never drink a Coke again in my life, but, um, <laughs> I, I still think. Had you never seen uh, it before? No, I have. I mean, I know the song. Um, had you asked me like, played me the song and said, what exactly happens visually in this ad? I'm not sure if I would be able to tell you. Oh, clearly but, you've never been to the uh, Coke Museum in Atlanta. Clearly. <laughs> you know uh, what I... Playing, you know, like, loop some other, another thing that I loved, I just want to give Pete... Uh, uh, yes, I feel like uh, we now have to yeah. run down all the characters very <laughs> quickly. I thought that one of the most brilliant parts in the finale, beyond maybe my favorite thing, which was the fact that there, you know, the whole, there are three women in every man's life and having Don call, but not physically be present for the three women in his life and how the whole you know, person to person, which is the name of the episode, how it was reflected in all these connections that were both there, but not there. I thought was brilliant, but I'd love my, maybe my favorite line of dialogue in the episode was when Pete uh, is, is saying to Peggy that he, uh, one day he will brag about having worked with having her. Having worked with and her. And he is what the, what the subjects of that line is, is I am now moving 2000 miles away where, the fact that we have a child together will be buried uh, forever and I will no longer have to worry about it. And it's such a, as much as, as far as Pete's come, it's so such a perfect character moment where it's still so irredeemably slimy. Um, And Oh, you think so? Yeah. I mean, he, 
he will i mean his mode yeah i mean he's not (laughs) going to there's only so much you can do at this point of course it's not like you can have some big breakdown and be like you know we did see roger decide to pay for his love child of course so yeah that was an option available to pete um to at least make like peggy's not paying who's pete gonna pay like who's like that love child is not he can pro- like, no, but he could have provided for the kid somehow. He, she, the kid lives with Peggy's sister. I mean, you know, it's not like a, it's a mystery. Wait, this, I thought really? Peggy just no, Peggy just gave the kid up for adoption. Yeah, I don't think. Didn't they say the this is? I mean, I know she doesn't see the kid. Yeah, no, well, she just no, handed like, it to the doctor after she gave birth, and it's like, no, not you're yours. right. I, I am misquoting something that I remember reading and decided that it was fact. Conspiracy fact-y. No, theory no to Reddit. Um, <laughs> No, but I, I she think loves a DB Cooper. Perfect Madman notes where he is clearly grown as a person, but is still fundamentally the same character that he was <laughs> at heart. Uh, and I thought that it was just really perfect. But what about Joan? What about Dave? What Joan? did you think about Joan? We haven't heard from you in a while. I mean, I think it was nice <laughs> that you know, in everybody getting to be a little bit happier at the moment that we exited the show that Joan would got to have her own business, but not get to have like a dude that's with her. Although I'm not a big fan of like the Coke to Coke pun that happened within this episode, sort of in yeah. the, the minds of the viewers. Wait, what? Well, she does, does cocaine. Coke the of the oh, oh, oh. And I thought you were going to talk about the amazing uh, match cut when I believe, Maybe, maybe Don's drinking a beer, Don's drinking a Coke or something, and then they cut to... And then they Oscar cut to Ken. <laughs> yeah. He finishes oh, yeah. the sip, and I'm like, I don't know why that's amazing, but that's amazing. I like that. I, I like the, her moment where she looks at the breakdown of the producing job or whatever it is and sort of commits in her mind that that's what she's going to do. Uh, but that being said, Joan has always been the character that I was sort of like least interested in throughout the entire series. Then, like, I saw what they were doing with her, and I think Christina Hendricks plays her very well. But if anyone was wielded like a blunt tool, it was the giant redhead, big boobed, like, woman that had to sell her body for Mercedes or whatever. Oh, yeah. Jaguar. So, it's just Jaguar. It just wasn't, uh, they, they didn't use Joan like they used Peggy, which I felt was a lot more subtle to get at the, the overall themes of uh, the sexism. But when they did use Joan effectively, she was great. It's just not not always my favorite character. And that being said, I think she 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 work, worked out. She's going to end up producing some crazy commercials for I a little like, while like and that, then music uh, music videos later I like on. That Peggy did not join. Mm. Me too. Yes. Mm. I was really worried about her doing that when she first started talking about it. I thought that would have been a little obvious and also kind of fan servicey in a way that would have defied what Peggy's all about and I'm, I'm mm. glad they stuck the gun. Especially that just, was right. I know I know that you've been rewatching the you just rewatched the pilot and you can see how immediately contentious the relationship is between Peggy and Joan. Obviously that has evolved uh, considerably since then. But I, I do think that it was important that Peggy sort of stake out or at least attempt to stake out her own happiness rather than latch on to a pretty good idea from from Joan. Right. Um, well, I mean, and, and that Joan, Joan because camp. of her history in a perfect grace note, uh, because of her troubled romantic history, uh, was able to supply both of the two names that anybody needs to have a legitimate sounding company. Right, I know. Yeah, yeah, I did enjoy that. But like, I, I like that. Peggy didn't join her for like the same reason that Don learned earlier in this season. Like you can't necessarily trust people just because you've been to war with them. Like, so I never saw Peggy and Joan as like ever really being friends 
really ever. Like they were just both hyper aware of their situation. But I don't know why Joe would necessarily reach out to make her a writer. That felt weird to me outside well, of I mean, like Peggy, maybe she knows Peggy's a great writer. Yes, true. And that she would probably be willing the moonlight, but she's really doing it to try to pull Peggy away from McCann and not because Peggy's a super great writer. Yeah. And because she knows, you know, she's angry and she's trying to do it to like set up things just for women and kind of is letting her anger at McCann shuffle through to wanting. Um, I feel like we're talking about Joan, you're getting into uh, some of the bigger topics about the show. So I wonder if it's, time to move on to talking about Mad Men in general and you guys have more final I want to talk about Betty but we'll talk about Betty later oh Betty don't let me forget about Betty who is my favorite character and who I was watching it with friends the finale and they were like isn't Betty the biggest bitch she's the worst and I'm like, <gasps> mm, no Betty's my favorite oh man but we'll get there we we'll get there I'm mad at them okay yeah we'll get there uh everybody go watch the Mad Men finale if you haven't yet there it doesn't make sense for you anyway Go rewatch Mad Men, I guess. So you can be ready, ready, rewatch all of Mad Men for our next segment, in which we will talk about the entirety of Mad Men. That's what the money is for! For a quick mini segment, we're just going to go over our favorite quotes from Mad Men, and you can uh, make favorite whatever you want it to mean. Uh, Dave, what's yours? Oh, see? Uh... <laughs> and you're allowed to choose the obvious. No, okay. wait, I was going to say, didn't we just say, I, I was going to have you preface that we made... Attempts not to choose, you know, that's where the money, right. that's what the money is for. And I, I don't like think that. everyone promised they were going to make that attempt. My no, favorite no. quote all... is, I'm a madman, <laughs> aren't I? Don. I'm going to take the one that had me spontaneously burst into tears, which is, you spend your whole life thinking you're not getting it, and people aren't giving it to you. Then you realize they're trying, and you don't even know what it is. That's like, so, that's like all my 20s. That was my 20s. Oh, wow. God, it's happening again. Oh, my God. Come <sighs> back to New York. Dave will give everything you want. Uh, <laughs> Patches, what's yours? Um, well, honestly, mine's the carousel speech. But uh, to go with something less obvious, I'm actually, I was thinking about in the episode The Flood um, from season six, when all the, I think Martin Luther King Jr. was just assassinated and Don takes his son to see Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. Don watches movies. Like, I love that about the show, and I was kind of hoping he'd see one more movie in the finale, but, you know, there's only so much time. But he takes his boy to see Planet of the Apes, and, you know, uh, uh, Charleston, Charlton Heston sees the Statue of Liberty. Ah! And then the lights come up, and the boy says, or no, Don says, you want to see it again? And then the voice is like, can we? And I love that. I love those two mm-hmm. lines. I'm just like, Ah, oh, that 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 is an era right there. It's a it's a an era of pop culture. It's an era of culture in general. Just what's going on outside. It just says so much, and I I love that moment. David, I really feel like front to back, almost every line from all of these episodes is memorable in some way. No, it's pretty insane. But uh, <laughs> as much as I want to go uh, as a self loathing Jew with all of Roger's brilliant bits of anti Semitic. Uh, <laughs> His commentary from like the first episode where he's talking about Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, and it's like, how Jewish are we talking? Audience or cast? Love that. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> the one that jumped to mind is when Bert Cooper talks about the death of Ida Blankenship and says uh, she was born in 1898 in a barn. She died on the 37th floor of a skyscraper. She was an astronaut. It's a great line. Uh, oh, especially yeah, because more this he, he then died. 
right after the moon landing. Yep. Um, I'm going back to another line that uh, echoed throughout the series, which I hadn't realized. Uh, the line, uh, I don't think about you at all, which is not only what Peggy said to Stan as soon as he told her he loved her before kind of figuring her shit out, but also what Don said to Ginsburg in the elevator when Ginsburg is really calling him out. And Ginsburg is kind of, you know, telling Don he feels sorry for him after all this. And Don goes, I don't think about you at all, which is the most devastating possible thing. That, that whole exchange that they have in the elevator, it's, it's like a great exchange. Bad as that. Really his way of saying, and... I love you, is it like a Hanzo <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> I know, kind of line? Don and Ginsburg are really the unrequited romance of this entire series. If you go back and watch, it's all there. Conspiracy! She won't get married because she's never been in love. I think I wrote that. It was to sell nylons. For a lot of people, love isn't just a slogan. What do you mean love? You mean the big lightning bolt to the heart where you can't eat and you can't work and you just run off and get married and make babies. The reason you haven't felt it is because it doesn't exist. What you call love was invented by guys like me to sell nylons. I have a question to steer this segment three okay. that we're beginning right. right now. Let's start yeah. talking. This is it. This is the beginning of the segment. Okay. <laughs> um, so so here's, here's a question for you. I think we all find the show to be mostly successful, and Katie might be the, the bottom of that, but... Uh, I would definitely call it successful, despite okay. my it, I mean, it's successful. over time. It, it is going down into to the history books. Where, where Do you think that the show followed its path? Matthew Weiner says that he knew where the show was going from the pilot that he wrote, you know, more than a decade ago. Oh, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm anticipating your question. No, finish. No. finish. I, I don't, don't want to ask necessarily if he knew where it was all going, if he imagined this final shot and this Coke ad. I, I, I would imagine he does something that, you know, you know that commercial if you're going to make a show about a decade's worth of advertising. I'm curious if there are moments from the series where you feel like, yes, this is a man who had a very clear vision of this show. It It, it is... You know, authorship when you when you see him, all the stars align in certain moments of Mad Men. Or do you feel like it did feel itself out as it was going on? That there was improvisation, that there was there was something he didn't know that was worked into this, and it steered the whole ship in a different direction. Something that feels tangible in that way, feels spontaneous in a show that is all about design. It's all about structure. It's all about perfection. I mean, even the frames of the finale this weekend, I'm just like. This is immaculate. Like, this is so well planned. Uh, but but I, think I don't I, know. Is there spontaneity I think I agree. in Is it tangible? I feel really certain that he knew he wanted to end with Don doing the coke ad. Like, that seems very plausible to me. But I think it would be insane for it not to have changed otherwise throughout the entire run. I don't think that makes for good television. Like, what made Mad Men interesting was the way these actors interacted together and the way that, you know, you fell in love with characters. I mean, even this interview that Jay Ferguson did where he said, you know, the writers talked Matthew Weiner into letting Stan and Peggy get together. Like, there are definitely things that, I mean, I don't, I don't mm. believe Weiner when he says that he left everything, like, he wrote the, through all of his stories at the end of every season. Like, I think that's complete nonsense. But I definitely, I think that what makes television great is it doesn't just come from one person's brain. Like, if it was just Matthew Weiner, it would be that movie he made that nobody liked. <laughs> this, I don't know <laughs> Which if I never saw. I'm not yeah, my, my first thought about the finale was, can you imagine that the director of you are here or are you here depending on when you saw it 
uh, is capable of something like this. It's quite impressive. Well, David, you and I have both watched the pilot recently. You watched a few episodes in season one since the finale aired. Um, and we were talking before the podcast about how how much linking we see, how many thematic arcs that we detect at the end of this show seem to click into this beginning portion. But I'm wondering if you see middle sections of Mad Men clicking in. Do you feel like this is, you know, kind of addressing what, what Katie has been saying about the, the show spinning its wheels at points? Is there a moment where Mad Men, someone as dedicated as you to the show, feels that it's spinning its wheels? Well, I think that it's inevitable in a seven series show, a seven, well, this is very British of me to call it a seven series <laughs> show, uh, in a seven season show is going to spin its wheels. I think that what helps make or break uh, a show is what it does while it's spinning those wheels because it's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's not just because something doesn't necessarily drive the show forward um, and maybe some of the subplots aren't as strong as Others uh, doesn't mean that they can't be doing textural work that they can't. What be subplots do you think didn't work? Sylvia Rosen. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't know because I think that one of the reasons that I love the show so much is because, like, our you know, not to be too cheesy about this, but like all of our lives, uh, there are a lot of a lot of shit we do that doesn't necessarily feel like it contributes to any sort of greater whole, but it, it does. I think that everything that we do is. A, part of who we are and um and i do feel like for the for the most part when there were things that didn't add up for certain viewers that they um that they were meaningful in their in their you know non-essential nature all right yeah 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 okay sylvia rosen why do you not like like this was i think katie has the balance pretty spot on that this is a show that was very, very carefully um, designed and by its architect, Matthew Weiner, but at the same time, it's. I, I wish I had a good visual metaphor for this off the top of my head. I do not, uh, but that obviously there's a lot of wiggle room uh, week to week in, in, in the middle there. I mean, yes, he knew what the ending was going to be for years, but how he got there, I think he probably... Uh, you know, winged a lot of that along the way. Um, but I think that that's okay. I think that makes for a lot more spontaneity and life in the show than there would have been uh, otherwise. Uh, Katie, yeah, who, t- remind people who Sylvia Rosen is. Oh yeah, that's tell Linda me why Cardellini. you don't like her because I want to get she... specific here. What about Nev Campbell's character? Huh? Whoa. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah. So we so go many through all women. the nine different Sally's or, uh, little boyfriend. Well, Glenn, we can get into as well. Uh, but no, Sylvia Rosen was the downstairs neighbor who Dom was having an affair with in season six. It was, uh, and it's important that Sally saw him uh, in her having sex, which you know something he brought up in the his final confession to Peggy. But that entire affair felt like a real big retread. And uh, I don't mind that Don had another affair. I just the amount of time that was devoted to it and what we learned about Don and that was so insignificant and repetitive that I really wish we hadn't gone. Well, I liked what I liked about it was how his friendship with her husband contrasted. That was a new element for him and that he had never, um, you know, his husband was, her husband was a decent man who did, important work and i think that right, put a lot breaking of things his own the- rules you're not supposed to sleep with anyone in your building right and i think that it, it signaled uh, a newfound desperation for don um which manifested itself in a lot of very ugly ways like in that episode where he makes her wait in the hotel for days on end yeah uh, and sort of uh makes her sexually subordinate uh 
I, I thought all that stuff was was interesting. I, I do think it probably chewed up more screen time than was absolutely necessary. But uh, more Linda Cardellini. <laughs> there are worse things. <laughs> Let's talk about Betty. I think it's. Dave was about to say something. Okay. Don't talk about Betty. I feel like that the whole thing is structured more like a novel. It's like you know where you're starting and you know where it's beginning, but in the middle, you just let the characters talk to each other around what you want to say. And I feel in that sense, it was very guided, but the freedom is a freedom that we're not used to on television, which is just plot freedom. Like Mm -hmm. what they substituted in for that was historical events. So what we'd usually like froth at the mouth for the big reveal, it's like, oh, well, eventually they're going to get to this historical event, which is why, you know, the D.B. Cooper prediction even came about. But now if the show's ended and you could look at the thing as an entire, you know, middle or you could see that the middle part is sort of circling around these themes of return and what changes about you when you return so that at the end of uh, the series, you have this feeling that there's going to be a return to form for certain characters, but maybe they'll be able to hold on to a little bit of knowledge. But like we were talking about it, maybe being cynical, maybe they won't. And I don't know. It's, it's nice to have something that can exist as a whole now because in seeing it, uh, I guess less like a, you know, is, is someone going to hang themselves again next week? Uh, sort of endeavor which it could have been because at times the episodes would feel that way especially while mm-hmm. i was dealing with the violence of the time period and you know would lead to things like the sharon tate prediction uh it was just funny to see how you're, at the end how much the plotting did matter dave you're the the ultimate person to ask this question to um but you know given the kind of show that Mad Men is a, as interesting as it was that it uh, reached out into the real world as it did with its advertisements and invoked, you know, uh, events into its mythology, whether it be Sharon Tate or D.B. Cooper. Don't you think that to some extent to actually think that was going to happen or suppose that was going to happen or entertain the idea that it could happen is watching the show in flat out the wrong way? Well, now, not that I'm accusing you. Not that I'm accusing you. Well, see, here's the thing: it it could, it could have been because we knew from the beginning this was a more, I mean, a tour-driven show, a more showrunner-directed show than like other shows that were on television at the time that it started, and the fact that he was pulling from something like The Sopranos, uh, where you know, sudden. Crazy things would happen, like a guy got his head squished with the tire in the finale. <laughs> hey, crazy I mean, things happen to bad men. I got foot run over. Yeah, <laughs> people a guy hung himself in the office. There Wait, are ghosts. Have, there are two screeners. very specific things that I want to say without, about this. Without knowing where everything's going, uh, like thematically, what your what your end game is and what your overall tone for the series is, yeah, at some point it could have become, you know manson and then he falls off a cliff at the end i I genuinely think that and again i'm not accusing you of this but i think that anyone who actively thought that there was a chance that don could be db cooper should should never be a little more forgiving you need to be a little more more forgiving david because i i've been thinking about this (laughs) first comment here is our buddy dustin rouse of pajiba wrote something actually on uprocks that was about how he thought don was going to go to Italy and maybe like follow Sally. She was going to Madrid and he was going to go to Italy. Italy was a very important place to him. That was his prediction for the ending. And uh, I, I should 
mention that the commercial, the Coke commercial, was shot in Italy. In Italy, mm-hmm. that's true. I don't think that is. A crazy but I, why would he? Why would she go to Italy? She was going to Madrid. No, she was going to Madrid, but no. it was important to him and and Betty and Dustin's whole theory was that he would go to Europe as well, kind of follow her lead and go to Italy. Anyway, the point is that was kind of a, a theory like this that you're saying is incorrect, built out of themes, out of, out of watching this character for so long and kind of letting the imagination spill over and also how the internet functions. So I, I believe that people watch Mad Men correctly to use the, the antithesis of your phrasing. Oh, God. You believe it. Oh, wait, I'm getting <laughs> sirens here. Hold on, hold on. Oh, oh, he's not talking. I want to finish, I finish oh, this oh, comment. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> wait, my siren might black in. Okay. People watch Mad Men the correct way on Sunday nights. They absorb mm-hmm. it. They're engaging with the characters. They're thinking about last week's episode. The problem is this golden age of television bullshit is not incorporating <laughs> the week between each episode where everyone goes to fucking town because they love the show so much. So they watch it the right way the first time, but you're, you want them to only digest it that way for the week uh, you know, between episodes, and that's not possible when you're a huge fan. And you operate in a different way. You can turn that it's clearly side possible. Off. You, it, well, well, you can turn that side off, but I, people don't want to. They want to keep talking about Mad Men. How can we not encourage that on some level? I just don't think it's it's wrong because people don't tune into Mad Men to find out if Don that week is going to reveal himself to be D.V. Cooper, you know, like put on sunglasses or board a plane and like scope it out. People aren't looking for clues, but the show is so dense. It's so, uh, you know, there's so much detail. Every Every choice is clearly a choice. That how can you not? I mean, Matthew Weiner admits himself that it's here's the, the Kubrick here's, problem. Well, well, I do think that you are <sighs> more forgiving than need be. I will give those people the slightest hint of credit because the show did end in a in a way that was like a, a watered down version of these wackadoo theories. And well, that see, is, that, that's it, what, that's what I'm going to say. I don't think there is anybody that is like you would characterize as watching it like in a wrong way. Like, I don't think anybody went into the top of the second half of the season really thinking D.B. Cooper was the thing. But like two seasons ago when D.B. Cooper was first brought up as a potential ending, that was really intriguing. It also it teaches even... people what D.B. Cooper is, and I can't be against that. Well, does I mean, everyone need to know what D.B. Cooper is? Is that a whole the, thing? The, 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 show does that. the show does it's that. It's a crazy a story. I had no idea because I was you know, never going to care about that shit when people were talking about, about it. Cooper in, uh, uh, I Wikipedia'd it last night, and it is very, very interesting. Yeah, like the uh, but Sharon it is nothing was, to do with Mad Men. The Sharon Tate thing was fun until it was obvious it wasn't going to happen, and, and then I think it was Sharon sort of Tate. left Isn't it more interesting to think about what the show does than what your, um, you know, cockamamie imagination can lower well, wanna, it to doing. But you do think about but, uh, but, that. See, I don't think, I think the majority of the people aren't in that because the show disabuses them of that over time. So for me, the last few seasons, I was spending the entire week between episodes talking with other people about what the episode was about. And I didn't really find a lot of crackpot theories. I was the crackpot theory guy and none of my theories were that crackpot. <laughs> At least you it's know like, you're the crackpot theory guy. Well, I mean, that, that's my place. I, right. what was crackpot let's, theory? And, and Patches is the one who said this like two segments ago. <laughs> let's talk about Betty. <laughs> I love Betty. I, I mean, Betty clearly suffers from the Skylar Breaking Bad problem with people. Yes. Um, you know, what's funny about Betty is that I only caught up with the show so that I could watch season 
six live. So I ended up doing the Netflix marathon up until that point. Mad Men was just a blind spot. I don't know. Forgive me. But my girlfriend, Michelle, had watched it all, and she rewatched the show with me when I did this Netflix marathon. And after we were done, you know, I told her my favorite character is Betty. And she explained that she hated Betty watching it first run and like week to week. She just found her to be awful. And then doing this marathon really opened her eyes to Betty being such an abused character coming from this strange time, being the true victim of what it meant to be a woman in a certain part of this world at a certain moment in time. And I really have so much sympathy for her. And I guess the show helps me empathize with Betty in that way. Just, you know, the problem she has with her mother and the problem she's had with men and the, the objectification and trying to be smart and trying to figure out her role as a mother. Just like, God damn it. What a hard life to live. And then this this horrific ending, which also ends up being kind of bittersweet because she can take it. She's grown and she she is her own person and she doesn't necessarily want help for better or worse. It's really tragic. I love Betty. Love her. Do you really think that the show sympathize with her enough? Because that's my that's one of my bigger Not, issues with the way that Betty was depicted. Because I, I think everything you said about her is interesting. Sympathize with her. I don't think it needs to like be like oh poor Betty, but I do think Betty, I do think Betty went through the ringer a couple of times in a way that didn't seem fair to me. I think that there is a natural Skylar Wright problem, but I don't think that Mad what Men did. Are you thinking about? Something I'm mostly specific. thinking about Fat Betty when she gets yeah, no, for no the, apparent reason. I kind of think like Betty no, exposes the pregnancy. Why... The pregnancy became Fat Betty. I think Betty no, exposes no, the, why Skylar White never actually actually uh, was a problem <laughs> because Skylar White was not a well written character. And I was not a particularly well-performed character. And I think that while there was a lot of misogyny behind the way that people responded to her, I think that Betty exposes uh, the flaws in Breaking Bad and because they fulfill very similar roles in these sort of anti-hero protagonists. uh, But Betty is, is such a complex, independent organism. And I think that she really came into her own after her marriage with Don ended both as a, you know, and, and I think that January Jones's, there's a real, you know, she, January Jones is, you could say that she's a limited actor. Uh, I don't really care. I mean, I think so many of our, the great actors do one thing and do one thing well. That seems to have shaded people's opinions of her. This X-Men, the fir- first class <laughs> role seems to have really informed what people think of her as Betty. I don't but I, that, but I think there's a real sense of visionary quality to, I don't know, you know, and I don't want to claim that Matthew Weiner knew what would happen to the character um before they started shooting the show but i think he knew sort of what the emotional what was going to be at heart and at stake for this character and i think that january jones could not have been better suited to bring it to life why, what i was why, trying to say about the pregnancy that... is that yeah. Uh, yeah yeah what i was trying to say about the pregnancy is that january jones was going to be pregnant and that sort of they stumbled upon thinking about how to deal with it into fat Betty. I don't think it was she got big enough that they're like, oh, we're just going to keep her that fat story. <sighs> I don't know. That that story didn't go enough places, and that was in a well, period where Betty was tangential well, enough to the narrative of the show as a whole and acting that so terribly. riling both that, the audience and the people in her life up? But like, think about the first season when Betty's entire relationship with Sally is predicated on sort of molding her in her image, and right. I, I stress image because when she has a car crash, her only concern is less that she could have killed her kids that that she could have scarred and she's like fuck Bobby like I don't care it's, it's a he's a boy a scar would look tough 
she's like, I could have ruined Sally's face. And looks are obviously, as, as she's been marginalized to the point where looks are really are all she has by society, are very important to her. And I think that it was when maybe when they learned that she was pregnant, it was sort of the obvious way to go to stress the, the extent to which she swung the other direction yeah. and, went, and lost well, her but it was also yeah. s- It was sympathetic in a season that Don wasn't sympathetic. And so all of a sudden, Betty was able to, you know, sort of resurge, whereas previously she was sort of like dangling as a leftover from this life that Don wasn't even leading anymore. Did you think it was sympathetic or did you think it was kind of, I mean, like watching her like eat the ready whip out of the can out of the fridge? Like, I didn't feel like the show really took her that seriously in that period. That was just funny. I don't know. Like, I I I haven't watched these episodes in a long time, so I don't remember remember a lot of the details of it but i don't remember life in some way <laughs> like i don't sure, know sure but that doesn't mean that it's her. i mean just because it's true to life i mean the, the show is making choices about how it's showing all of its characters why can't they put a trigger warning before she eats <laughs> fucking cool whip okay some of us Whoa. have had don't the moment. miss what i'm talking about as fucking trigger warnings <laughs> i'm joking yeah all of a sudden i'm mansplaining i'm sorry I know. This is I, actually this is. I'm surprised it took this long for there to be mansplaining. I'm totally donning it up right now. No, I love Betty. Wait a second. I love no, Betty. I love Betty too, and I want loving her. Betty does not excuse you from mansplaining pageants. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't think the show is always as thoughtful to, about her as it was about Joan or Peggy or other people in the office, and it just that that seemed to me to be a I larger think- flaw that sometimes got worked out and sometimes didn't, and the character I didn't. I, I get that, that but it also feels by design. It also feels like everyone does. Every, the show feels negative because everyone in her life is being negative, and she uh, really has to rise above it. I mean, can't we feel bad about it? Can't we feel that negative reaction? What I what I would think is that people who don't like Betty would think that the character was maybe Sally excuses this from, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, but maybe, and maybe this is the reason I haven't heard this is because of how Sally factors in, but like a lot of the criticisms about how rape is treated on game of Thrones with how the women are just used as the part of these emotional journeys for the men. If Betty's ultimate fate and maybe her continued inclusion on the show, uh, like a lot of the women on the show only existed to be a reflection on Don. Um, and if that was cruel to Betty because she served her purpose in dying, by helping, it just seems strange to me, and not necessarily find any credence in that, but it seems strange to me with all the focus on that element of representation of Game of Thrones that I haven't heard anything about that regarding Betty in the finale of Mad Men. She doesn't feel like a pawn, though, and mostly because she didn't die. I mean, I didn't think we were going to see her in the finale at all. And I was happy that there was this moment. She got the person-to-person phone call, and she got to have a breakdown. She got to reconnect but be distant I, I don't know she never felt like a pawn in this show to me she definitely well, never, is, never oh, looked like, sick sally is dying. so essential she's the two of them are so the triumvirate of don <laughs> sally and betty i mean how can they feel like pawns they're reflecting or refracting each other at all times but uh, when you're talking triumvirate. david about like the greatness of the finale being that you know there are three women in every man's life like that's not the role i want to see for betty in the finale like betty is a person in her own life and that's what i feel like like nothing that you are. But she has three, her that every, agency, every woman like, has three men in their life. She has Don, and she has what's her husband's name? Frank, Frank Henry Francis. Henry Henry Francis, and she has Glenn. God, fucking Glenn. Can we bring up Glenn as a thing the show might have done wrong at some point? No, well, is this, yes. only, is this only a safe space to talk about how great Mammoth was? One of the it, it is it is <laughs> not. Oh, we're being talk, critical, right now. but I think that um, Glenn is is sort of. Uh, 
Uh, I don't. I just. I think that moment in in the wheel when he is uh, his mom is in the drugstore, the bank, whatever it is, for twenty minutes, and he's holding Betty's hand. Um, is is a huge, huge moment in the show. And really oh, I, thought, I mean, I thought Glenn served a great purpose in his early time. It was really just when he kept coming back that I was like, what really, I like that Glenn keeps coming back because. It, it challenges what son. Betty thinks she's supposed to be, what history tells her, and the place that she's supposed to fit in, to be just Don's other, to be Don's woman. I mean, the show fights against this notion that every man has three women because the women are themselves, and the, it, it rejects it in that way. Betty, throughout the show, figures out who she can be. She wants to go to college, but she's going to die. Who cares? I'm still going to go to college. Or like, you know what? I can feel bad for Glenn in these final moments. We've had the creepiest relationship of all time, and I thought it was so awful in the beginning. But you know what? This kid's going to war, and I have feelings for him, and I'm going to display them. This is totally against convention. Uh, you know, it's taboo even, but that is her. She has feelings and she's going to express them. But she doesn't really. I mean, like he, she is pretty reserved in that last scene they share together. I mean, she's not, uh, this isn't breaking bad, you know, she's not going to go from one to 100, but that is a revelation in their final moment together. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that it is their first scene. Oh, for sure. I think obviously (laughs) there are a lot of things happening under the surface there. And Betty, you know, for her character is quite expressive, but um, yes, I think it, it does exhibit a lot of the restraint that the show is known for. I also, I wonder, just to take a further step back, I, part of me fears that we will never see, and I, I think it's always unwise, even though I fall into the trap all the time, to make these sweeping pronouncements about what the future is going to hold, because there will be something that comes along um, and shakes things up. Yeah, you're pretty up, convinced television for is, is garbage now. But I, I really... I. I worry with the I, which is something that I never had with the end of a lesser show like Breaking Bad, that Mad Men was unique on television, that it really marched to the beat of its own drum. It was very restrained. It didn't seem to, because for whatever reason, it, by quality alone, by because of its style, whatever, that it had just enough ratings to squeak by, won enough Emmys and Golden Globes for AMC to let it go and help build their brand, um, and that they were more or less free to do what they wanted. Uh, I wonder if we'll ever see a show with this sort of production value and this sort of consistency and this sort of scope uh, that operates at this level of quality. I'm, and I'm worried. Should, yeah, do I, I don't think you, sh- one, should be. You're, you're calling it unique, which I totally agree with. But it also sounds like you're saying, why can't we have another Mad Men, which is asking for the same <laughs> thing again. But you there. refuse to watch things like The Good Wife or animation. On television, I've seen The Good Dave Wife. and I praise. I've seen The Good Wife. All the Good right. Wife is no Mad Men. I, I'm just, well, it's a different show, but it seems like you're closed-minded to the variety that's possible. You're, you're calling for another Mad Men. You love Mad Men because it's cinematic in a particular way, and it's telling stories in a particular way i mean if anything i wouldn't want a madman clone which they've been trying to do for like all seven seasons you know go watch pan am yeah i think that what you're saying about me um you know fearing for the future of television and saying madman's unique but wanting another madman is totally fair and spot on uh i don't think i'm close-minded about what's on television and i watch as much as i can or at least give it a shot i do think that the cinematic element of it is is key um i you know when i was writing this piece about singling out my favorite images from Mad Men, um, you know, that's the stuff that I'm drawn to, how composed they are, how painterly they are, how, for lack of a better word, cinematic they are. And that is something that I, I fear is missing from television. I think even something like you know, Game of Thrones doesn't really trade in. You know what you should worry uh, about? You should worry that most, you know, Matthew Weiner and Vince Gilligan 
um, these two kind of soldiers in the fight for great television, even if you don't love Breaking Bad, uh, are people who came from the movies. Whenever they talk about their shows, they're talking about cinematic influences, things they saw when they were kids on the big screen, and they want to do something like that in episodic television. And now you have all these people who adore Breaking Bad and Mad Men who want to make television, but they're making television based on television. Right. Now. It seems like, and what what's encouraging to me is hearing a guy like Alex Garland talk about Ex Machina and being like, you know what, Ex Machina is is a is a film born from Mad Men, uh, and that's awesome. Like that's a great feeling that it he can said transfer that? back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I talked to him about the movie. And like, In what way? Well, he's just saying that, like, I love movies from the 70s, but if I'm looking for m modern references, how I wanted to make Ex Machina, now I was I was watching Mad Men. You know, I want to make a talky show that has subtext and is about something, but can also be surface level and, and viscerally funny and, or scary. Um, so what does he have to turn to now? Mad Men. But if people make television and just, like, human centipede out new incarnations of the same shit, it, it's going to be television people making television that seems dangerous like you yeah. need, if you're gonna uh, get another madman you need someone who's making movies who's making different types of a, not even movies but just different types of art coming to television there's a different there's a different uh handle here that i think you guys are missing which is that uh tv seasons are already getting shorter and anthologies are rising so we're about to enter the golden age of the miniseries events which yeah. is gonna be great it's gonna be High-budgeted things shot really well. You could buy some good people. The stories are all going to be done, so at least you yeah. have some time to like edit it and know what you're doing. The miniseries like, the is not what, on I'm, TV. what I'm asking for. I mean, I think part of Mad Men's appeal and part of why I love it so much is because it sustained this world for so long and these characters. It, it was like a great novel, and I think that it, um, you know, which is the most obvious thing you can say about it. But truly, um, watching, you know, waiting a year to read the next few chapters. Um, and being expected to maintain all the connections that the writers are drawing for you is ridiculous. I think Netflix is a is a beautiful place for that show to live. Um, and a miniseries, you know, they're interesting. They can be, but that's not really what I'm going to miss. Right. It's really interesting well, that HBO rejected Alex Ross Perry's TV show and rejected Noah Baumbach's TV show. And we've seen a lot of big name filmmakers be rejected uh, in the wake of Mad Men and, you know, Martin Scorsese is making another television show about rock with the Rolling Stones or some shit. I don't know. It just seems very the, – the sameness has settled in. Mad Men didn't do well, so why would they make more Mad Men? Well, and AMC is now has The Walking Dead, which is the most successful show that they have, and, and one of the most successful the shows on television. And Fear no, the Walking yeah, Dead, and the Walking Dead is utter garbage. I mean, what? and without the and, Mad Men, there would never be a Walking Dead. I mean, so uh, at a certain um, point, well, Mad Men now built, Game of Thrones, there wouldn't be a Mad. Well, no, but Mad Men. No, Walking Dead came. Mad Men made AMC, um, and and I don't claim to be an expert in the machinations of the television industry, but from where I can, where I'm standing, it seems like Mad Men gave AMC the cachet and the credibility to swing for the fences with these long form series. Um, obviously, Walking Dead is um, not of the same whatever as Mad Men, the same caliber, the same flavor, whatever. But it's uh, I think that it empowered them to have your Breaking Bads and your Turns, the most Turn, of course, being the most important show in the history of television. Uh, yes. Your low winter suns. Um, you know, I think that it, this was a part of it. Mad Men obviously but, did a world of good for AMC and in, in allowing these things to happen. Yeah, I mean, we can't, you know, the, the impact of Mad Men on AMC specifically is undoubtable. But what worries me is not looking at the Turns and Halt and Catch Fire and all of that. It's 
looking at something like Netflix, like the way that they were kind of going to be the next step in original programming and now how it's all full house reboots and inspector gadget. The, I mean, the original, the miniseries thing that Dave was talking about is very true and true detective is becoming kind of an interesting example of that. But I do worry that how expensive and uh, care, you know, auteur driven, like how, what a pain in the ass Matthew Weiner was to AMC. I don't think we're going to get that very often. I don't think, I think there's enough breadth of television and there's enough of a sense of everyone knowing what people will watch on TV. I mean, how different television wanted to television was in 2007 is really almost hard to describe. Well, Netflix is loving like they're, you know, I'm not going to say that Wachowski's show sense eight is going to be any good, but they, by all accounts, Netflix gave them a fuck ton of money and yeah. just said, go and make the craziest Wachowski shit you can. And so, you know, they, they are balancing out the and full yet, house. It won't be Jupiter with, ascending best movie of 20. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, so I, again, this is not the most, the freshest argument out there, but it, it does seem like it, Netflix and the like might be the last bastion for this sort of entertainment. I, I just don't know if we'll see it on television as such. Well, wait until well, the Duck Phillips spinoff. Mm-hmm. Chauncey. No, it'll be a psychiatrist. It'll be called Quack. It'll be great. <laughs> That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We will be back on Friday with a, uh, you know, a movie that has ties into the 60s. It's called Tomorrowland. We'll talk more about that later. We'll see how much it's like Mad Men. Uh, in the meantime, tell us who you are. I'm Matt Patches. I am the senior writer at Esquire.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And if you have Mad Men thoughts, we have a website, FightingInTheWarRoom.com. There is a comment box or you can share on Twitter and Facebook and leave your thoughts on the Mad Men's Fighting in the Warm Deck. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the uh, associate film editor of Time Out New York and the editor-at-large of Little White Lies. Our new issue about Tomorrowland is currently on sale, on sale uh, online and pretty much everywhere in the UK. Um, you can go to littlewhitelies.com or .co.uk and read stuff there. Also, you can find all of us uh, on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name DA7E. That's also my Twitter handle. I write at geek.com, latino-review.com, and forbes.com. And I also do a storm of spoilers here at the fightinginthewarroom.com feed. Uh, that's about Game of Thrones. Maybe check out last week's episode first. And I am Katie Rich. You can find me at vanityfair.com or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K A T E Y R I C H. Twitter is also the place where you can find us talking about Mad Men and other things, usually at F I T W R. And you can also use that to answer this week's lightning round question, which was In honor of Mad Men, which Mad Men character most deserves a Mad Men spinoff? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. Mad Men. Mad Men.